0: Amen. Wow, right? Praise God for that. What a we have so much to celebrate. And and there's so much of our mission that's in front of us, so much that we get to do for the gospel. The the empowerment for all of that happens in our heart. It happens deep inside of our soul as we think about living our whole lives for the the glory of God, recognizing that that the power for that doesn't doesn't come from outside of us. It doesn't come from being in a great worship time together. It comes from the commitment in our heart and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us, working through us. And you and I have the opportunity every single day to avail ourselves to that power. Very simply, by turning our attention to God instead of to ourselves. By attending to our relationship with Him. And that's why, as we bring this series to a conclusion today, we're talking about our personal devotional life, because you can get to the right place with God, but to sustain it, to maintain it, to grow in it, you have to grow your relationship with Him. I'd like to show you a picture and ask you what these four images have in common a nice married couple there, someone attending at their work, a soldier obviously in the midst of combat, someone with their open Bible in prayer. I would say that the word devotion could be used to describe any of those four images. A devotion to a relationship, a devotion to a cause, a devotion to something bigger than you, a devotion to your job, a devotion to others, Our challenge today is to become devoted to Christ. So the dictionary looks at devotion this way, love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or a cause. And people get devoted to a lot of different things, don't they? Uh, All of us are devoted to something. So if you say, well, I don't know if I'm really devoted to God, it's not a question of, are you a devoted person? It's just, okay, well, if you're not devoted to God, then what are you devoted to? Martin Luther King, Jr., back in 1953, was preaching a sermon about communism. Here's what he said. We are challenged to devote our lives to the cause of Christ as the communists do to communism, which is a pretty sad testament to the churches of 1953 that you could use one of the darkest, most evil, and oppressive systems that humans have ever concocted as an example of devotion and say, couldn't we at least be devoted to God at that level? If you go back to the 20th century and read the history of that, the system, the ideology of communism, likely killed more than 100 million people across the world and enslaved even more than that. If it wasn't for the the strength of the West kind of rising and, and really a few devoted Christians... Uh, standing against that, we would still likely be living with that scourge. What's heartbreaking about that era, though, is not just the many people who died for a false ideology, it's the people who lived for it. That you could find teenagers in the jungles of South America with an AK-47 who literally were so indoctrinated that they would, they would take the lives of their neighbors and families in the name of communism, they would, give their, they would gladly throw themselves down for this cause that they thought would make the world a better place. People can be devoted to a lie just like they can be devoted to the truth. And here Martin Luther King is encouraging us to think about our relationship with God, our devotion to God and the intensity that that ought to be. He he goes on, We cannot accept their creed, but we must admire their zeal and their readiness to sacrifice themselves to the very uttermost. He continues on, I have seen communist universities passionately attempting to win their associates to communism. How many Christian students have ever attempted to win other students to Christ? How many of you in your jobs have ever attempted to do so? He says, Would today that the Christian's fire were burning with the same intensity in the hearts of Christians as the communist fire is burning in the hearts of the communists. We must unreservedly commit ourselves to the cause of Christ. And so we could look at that and we could say, Yes. Uh, obviously we should be serving Christ with all that's in us. I mean, think of what we just sang about and the joy and the glory and everything that Jesus represents. He's worth everything we have. He's worth our uttermost sacrifice. We might say that Christian devotion, if we were rewriting our definition, for our purposes would sound like this. It's love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for Christ, for his way of life, for his mission. It's that everything you are, everything you love, the things you dream about, all of it is is with Him as your end goal. And, And you're looking at what God created you to do and you're saying, that's it, that's what I was made for, that's what I'm living for, I'd be willing to die for. That's Christian devotion. And you might imagine in your life, just think about you yourself, going to school, going to work hanging out at your house, you, being devoted to Christ at that level where you'd say, everything's on the table, God has every part of my life, anything he asks, my answer is yes. It's always an only yes to my Lord. That type of devotion is informed by something. It doesn't just happen. There's a fuel, there's an engine inside that allows you to be devoted to God in that way. It's behind the scenes. And we could see it this way. It's, it's something inside of your soul. It's our personal devotional life. When you and God get some time together. And the more time you spend in God's presence, the more your passion grows. The more, the more you see God for who he really is, the more you can't wait for the world to know. And yet, if we neglect a personal, devotional life, our passion can dry up, our vision can get tired, our plans can start to circle around ourselves instead of the gospel, and we could find ourselves the target of Martin Luther King's sermon, saying, how is it that the world is more dedicated to its cause than we are to ours? How do we recover that dedication, that devotion? It might be as simple as opening the Scripture that's in your hand and saying a prayer. Lord, I want to connect with you. I want to build a real relationship with you that's not just in church and it's not just formal or traditional. It's actually a connection that we have together. So here here are a few aspects of a devotional life. Here's, Here's what cultivates a devotional life. Um, it's, it's Bible intake and meditation, and Ryan did a great job of introducing us to that as a value. It's prayer and spiritual focus in your heart. It's, it's worship and praise to God, not just in church, but at any moment of the day when you recognize the glory of God around you. And, and I think you could say kind of all of it could be summarized by it's attending to our relationship with God on a daily basis. Other people that we're devoted to, If you think about it, you attend to those relationships. That would be a measure of devotion. So if you're devoted to your spouse, you probably talk to your spouse. If you're devoted to your children, you probably think about your children and spend time with your children. If you're devoted to your parents or to your job or to whatever, devotion requires engagement, attentiveness. And if we're going to be devoted to God, then we're going to have to pay daily attention to our relationship with him. It won't just happen on accident. It won't happen all of a sudden if we get a little bit older or if we finally clear our calendar or if some factor changes we've been hoping will change. It has to be in the midst of the mess that you're in, in the midst of the life that you're living, you start to recognize that God wants to cultivate a relationship with you that's personal, that's deep, that's dynamic, that's conversational. Your personal, devotional life. So, To encourage you today in that regard, I want to offer you a a few beginning points for what that can look like and how you can proceed, how all of us together can proceed. The first one is that your devotional life is fueled by your desire for God. All right, during our worship set today and a little bit earlier, we referenced a few psalms, psalms of of dedication, but also psalms of sort of heart hunger, right? Right? Where the psalmist is like, I want to be in your courts, Lord. I want to be close to you. I'm like that thirsty deer. I just want to drink in the water of life with you. Your desire for God is what's going to propel your devotional life. But here's what's interesting. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Your desire for God is propelled by your devotion but your devotion actually increases your desire for God. And so the more that you'll do what Ryan said and sort of lean into it, and, and even when it needs to be a habit and when it feels like a discipline and when you say, you know, I, I don't always feel great about this, but I'm doing it because it's important. As you cultivate that, as you're faithful to that, your desire for God is going to start to increase. Your passion for him is going to start to increase. Here's the second. Principle. Your devotional life involves the Bible, but it's not about the Bible. If you think about the New Testament era, who were the most righteous devotional guys in the New Testament from a human perspective? The Pharisees, right? What are you pointing at, Dave? Oh, okay. All right, so here I was going to say, what, what, I, what I learned is if you point at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you, so maybe this is about you, I don't know. Okay, all right, okay, I see, all right. So, uh, so the Pharisees here, they are, on the, on the outside, everyone thinks that they are, they're holy. I mean, they're connected with God, but their hearts were so far from God because everything was on the outside, nothing was on the inside. Jesus confronted them about this he said to them in, in John 5, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that are testifying about me. And he's saying to them, hey, the, the Bible that you're studying and reading and giving your attention to, that's not what equals devotion. It's that the, the Bible is what informs you for your devotion. It's what teaches you about the person you're getting to know, which is Jesus. Jesus you and I face the same temptation the Pharisees had because it's easier to make a list of Bible verses that we should read and read those verses and think we've got it covered. It's a lot harder. It's a lot more work. It requires a lot more of us to engage our heart, to have a personal relationship with God, not just a formality. The third, expressions of your devotional life can happen all the time. First Thessalonians says, "Pray without ceasing," which actually means you never technically have to say "Amen." Like your whole life conversation can involve God. And so you don't have to fold your hands, you don't have to go to a quiet place, you don't have to set time aside. You could just pray. You could pray in your mind, you could pray out loud, you could pray with somebody else, but the, the door is always open, the conversation's always alive. Pray without ceasing. But the other side of that is that for things that are important, we do prioritize time. We do set aside special times. And that's where we say, not only am I always having a conversation with God, but I'm setting up some times when I can focus just on him. When I can make a pattern of reading his word and praying and communing with him. Jesus had that pattern. Um, In Luke 5, it, it talks about how the crowds were pressing in everybody wanted to hear him preach he was the he was a novelty he was amazing some people thought a prophet a messiah who is this everybody's streaming out to the hillsides to hear from Jesus he's healing people sick people are lining up crippled people are lining up Jesus could have done that ministry work all day long for the whole rest of his earthly life but for some reason in Luke 5 even as all this public activity was happening it says but he often withdrew to lonely places, and prayed. Why was he doing that? Why was he taking time out of the busyness of a lot of good to spend time with God? Because even he, as a human being at that time, needed that empowerment, needed that fuel for the work that was ahead, just like you and I do. All right, and then here's the fourth And for me, honestly, the most difficult part of this. Your devotional life is mostly secret. To those same Pharisees, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you know what? If you're praying and fasting and giving and helping all so that other people can see it, that's the only reward you'll ever get is somebody else thinking you're great. But he says, if you want the real thing, pray when no one's watching. Go to your closet. Find a place no one knows about and talk to your heavenly father and what you say to him there in secret, he'll reward you. In our culture, a lot of you are probably just like me. You're very results oriented. So if you're going to do an activity, you want to see the ROI on that activity, right? I mean, you want some fruit. You want some evidence that something happened. And this is what makes prayer so difficult for us, at least it is for me, because when I pray, I don't immediately feel like something just happened. You know what I mean? Like you pray and there's like, there's no box to check off somewhere that like we did it. And so the way we compensate for that, and this is scary because this is a lot, this is a lot like what the Pharisees would do, is we, if you've ever done this, I apologize for calling you out we stage an amazing picture with like our coffee and our Bible and we're like, we had a great devotion this morning. That's fine. I mean, you could do that. But if you're actually having devotions so that you can Instagram a picture of them, I think you're kind of missing the whole idea of what devotion is. Um, or you might say like, I want to pray, but like, let's, inv- let's, let's in- invite a lot of other people to pray too. Again, that's a great thing. But if the, if the context in which you're praying always feels like it has to have other people involved, then I would submit to you that you don't have faith that God is hearing your prayer. Jesus said, if you'll pray in secret, God will reward you openly. And this is for us, I think, a great challenge. To be willing just to trust God with moments, maybe even hours, that we would spend with him alone in prayer and never have to tell anyone that we did it Never have to announce it, never have to stand up as a great prayer warrior, just to let it be between you and God. To cultivate a personal devotional life, you have to be willing to have faith that God is with you in those secret moments. So as devoted followers of Jesus, ready to follow his plan to fulfill his mission, I believe that we find our strength, our resolve, our daily renewal in the quietness of these special moments that we set aside with God. I always have looked ahead in my life and thought, I'll get this right in the future. Like right now, I'm too busy. Right now, I'm in a, you know, strange season. Right now, there's a lot going on, but someday things will change. You know, I remember thinking that when I was 15. Now I'm 40, and I still think that. And I'm kind of afraid that I might run out of lifetime before I finally find that magic moment when no one needs anything from me, and I can say, all right, Lord, now let's sit down and read the Bible. Now let's really pray. I don't want to wait for that, and I'm sure you don't either. The relationship that God has called us into is for here, it's for now. It's the power you need to do the things that you're so busy doing. So you might say, okay, I'm in, but where do I start with all of this? Um, There's a lot of places to start, right? You can open anywhere in the Bible and say, Lord, like, begin here. Um, But for myself, just on a practical level, here's what I've discovered. The book of Psalms in the Bible is like kindling for your personal devotional life. Because Psalms is like a window into some other people's devotional life. David and Asaph and a variety of others who wrote the Psalms. You're, you're reading like their heart cries to God. You're reading their vision, their struggle, their, their pain. You're, you're, you're seeing into all of that. And I find Psalms to be an incredible outline for my own prayer life. And so when you're alone with God and your mind does start to wander, you're thinking, okay, what do I pray about? How do I fill this time? You could turn to a psalm if you need some kindling to get the fire going, and you could, you could look at the psalm and you could read it and you could say, Lord, I don't want to just read this as history or as someone else's experience. I want to use this now as a pattern upon which I'll pray. And so it could be as simple as this for you. If you're a beginner to all of this, you could start in Psalm 1 this afternoon. You could find a quiet place for a moment, read Psalm 1. It's only six verses long and just say, Lord, on the basis of Psalm 1, I I just want to pray about what it says. And maybe that devotional moment for you is less than five minutes. Or maybe it becomes something you think about and ponder and pray through for the whole week. The point isn't how long it takes. The point is the heart that you're developing, a real relationship with God. If you'll do that, if you'll set aside the time if you'll give the focus, the daily attention, then seeking Him doesn't have to just be, you know, a really amazing 12 weeks we spent together digging into really important principles. Uh, It can be a daily part of your life from here forward. Keep seeking Him. Keep being thirsty for Him. And see where God takes you as you draw close. Let's pray and ask for His help together live this life. Lord, we can worship and we can thank you and we can praise you for so many wonderful things about who you are and what you do for us. We can look ahead to heaven and to your kingdom coming and to all these amazing things that are certainly worth celebrating, worth being a part of, and we can wake up every morning with amazing resolve to go out and fulfill the mission that's in front of us. But we recognize, based on the pattern you gave us, even while you were here on this earth, that we can't do this without your empowerment. And that comes through lonely, personal moments. That comes in the silent times. It comes in our devotions. So Lord, for all of us in this room, we're all starting from a little different place here pursuing you. We're asking you to start us where we are, to fill us with desire, to inflame our hearts with passion, so that when we do open your word, when we do set our minds to prayer, we can't wait to get there. We can't wait for what you would say back to us as we pray. We can't wait for what we could learn in the Bible about how to better follow you. Lord, thank you for giving us access to your throne that we can just, any time of day, anywhere we are, just speak and you'll listen to us. What a joy that is, what a privilege that is. This week, we want to take full advantage of that amazing grace. In Jesus' name, we pray together. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week. In the real early morning For the sun has woke up from its bed In the real early morning When the birds are still singing I'm gonna give you praise Gonna give you praise Gonna seek your face, my God I'm gonna give you praise Gonna give you praise Gonna seek your face, my God In the real early morning Well, the sun is still in bed.